Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much, Richard. Had Richard stop there in the middle, though we will be um, preaching through the entire chapter. So um, before we get started, want to pray, obviously pray over the preaching of the word, but also pray. Um, Adam Milliken has been sick for quite some time and uh, fever for a number of weeks. Um, had some break uh, in the fever recently, but um, yeah, he continues to struggle. So if you would, please lift up Adam as well as we pray. So Father, God, thank you. Thank you that we can be together. Thank you that, thank you for technology, for those who are watching. Thank you for health, that for those who are in the room. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for relationships. Thank you for the church, Lord. And we pray for a day coming soon when we can all be together. Thank you for days like Titus Landings and being able to be outside and to relate to one another, to meet with one another. Thank you for community groups, um, many of which are meeting. Lord, thank you for relationships. Lord, I pray right now for, for Adam and ask that you would touch his body. Lord, we pray that you would raise him up well in strength and in good health, Lord. We pray that in your precious name. God, and we pray for the preaching of your word this morning. Help us to be recipients this morning. Help us to receive what you have for us and help us to respond. Respond with hearts, a life of worship. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So finding our way a little bit in our study, where are we? In Isaiah, I don't mean like we're in Isaiah 58, but where are we in our study in Isaiah? What's going on with the people right now? Isaiah is warning the next generation, all right? The next generation um, of God's people who are in exile in Babylon. These are the ones who will be, they'll be the ones who will return to Jerusalem under Cyrus's rule in Assyria. Um, they will return to Jerusalem, they will rebuild the city walls, they will rebuild the temple, and Isaiah, that's, that's who, who Isaiah is speaking to at this point in, in Isaiah 58. He's speaking to that generation, and what he's telling them is don't repeat the sins of your fathers, really. I mean, don't, don't continue in the very thing that your, your mother and your father did that has you in exile currently. You know, these people, this generation of people probably thought, you know, there's no way we're going to continue in the sins of our parents, of the previous generation. They, 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 they probably are thinking we would never do that. We understand that's what has us where we're at. Besides, look at our fasting. It's Isaiah 58. Look at our Sabbath keeping. Look at our religious activity. You see, religious activity can blind us. It's all a mystery to me. Wow, Siri, really. <laughs> it's a mystery to me too. Look at, look at, look at our religious activity. Look at, look at the things that we're doing. And you know what? Here's the thing. 
religious activity can blind. It blinds them. It can blind us today. All right? Religious activity can be deceptive. And it can blind us specifically to our ongoing need for mercy. They may have thought, you know, that whole exile thing. That was, that was for mom and dad. But now look, look at our religious fasting and our Sabbath keeping. And the key for us this morning is we're not preaching about them. We're not thinking about them. We are thinking about them, but through that grid, we want to evaluate ourselves because religious activity can blind us today in 2020. You see, we have, we have 2020 vision when it comes to others' sin. And we can be extremely blind at the sin in ourselves. So here's the big idea. Religious activity blinds us to our own need for mercy and seeks to manipulate God. That's what they're doing with their religious activity. And we'll unpack that. They are seeking to manipulate God. They want, they do what they do for what they can get from God, not because of what they've been given. So the first thing that happens here in our text is a rebuke. Let's read verse one again. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. The point of chapter 58 is to bring a rebuke. It's to, it's to, to bring about a conviction for sin, but there their particular sin is going to surprise us a little bit. And so Isaiah is saying, shout it, raise it, proclaim it like a trumpet. Let it be known. Now I'm not, my, I'm not Isaiah. Only Isaiah is Isaiah. Only the biblical writers are the biblical writers inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm not a biblical writer. I'm not Isaiah, neither are you. We all know this. But at the same time, when the word is faithfully preached, there is a raise it, shout it, proclaim it, that God by his Holy Spirit would come and bring conviction of sin in our hearts. You see, church, we want to be faithful to verse 1. And our response as hearers, and I include myself as I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm speaking and I'm hearing, right? Like it, our response is, God, we need mercy. We need mercy. We need more of your mercy. It's not that, it's not that, all right, these people back then in Isaiah 58, and it's not, it's not those people out there outside our four walls. Those people need mercy, now, it's right inside here. We are a people in need of mercy. Love the songs that we were singing this morning in regards to that. God-fearing people need mercy, right? Church-going people need mercy. Offering, giving, Bible reading, people praying, people who do religious 
things need mercy. And the religious activity blinds us. It deceives us. Because when a person does religious things, we start to think that we've got this thing figured out. Look at what we're doing. And we get lost in the woods of religious activity and we forget the mercy we have received and the mercy we continue to need. You see, the world will do what the world does. It does what world does. They, 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 it's who they are, right? Darkness does what darkness is. And the response that ought to be from those of us who are recipients of mercy is humility. Humility towards darkness. And understanding that, oh, if it wasn't but for the grace of God, I would be doing those very th same things. And so in chapter 57, if you remember from last week, it's, it's this idea of the recipients of mercy. They're what? They're contrite. They're humble. Recognizing that the very definition of mercy is we receive what we don't deserve. What if God was to stop showing me mercy? You mercy. What, what, what if God stopped showing you and I your, your sin, my sin, and our ongoing need for mercy? Church, I would respond to that. Oh, God, please don't leave me to myself. These people are blinded by their religious activity of fasting, of observing the Sabbath. Those were the big religious things of their day. Our day might look a little different. Our day might be the big religious things of our day, might be Bible reading, prayer, giving, church attending, etc. The point isn't, what it is, the point is that it is. That religious activity can blind us. And so the first thing out of the gate is Isaiah is calling them to repentance, exposing their sin. The second thing we see here is it's possible to do the right things, but to do them the wrong way. All right, doing the right things the wrong way. So he says, cry aloud, declare the, that the people are in sin. In verse two, it can get a little confusing. It says, yet they seek me daily. That sounds good. And delight to know my ways. Key word here in the ESV is as if, or words, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. That for the most part, sounds pretty good, right? They, they seek me daily. Here's the thing, and the as if is, a, is an identifier. What's being communicated here is that the people 
have a appearance of religion. It looks good, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. The, The NIV, usually don't go to the NIV, but here the NIV is helpful in that it translated translates this, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. It says, they seem eager to know my ways. They, they seem like that. It, it has that appearance of that, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And again, at the end, they delight to draw near to God. It translates that, they seem to draw near to God, as if they were a righteous people. So they have an appearance of things. Verse three, why have we fasted? This is where they further get exposed. And you see it not. Why do we do these religious things? This further gets unpacked here, but why do we do these religious things and we're not getting something out of that from you? What's the point? If we're gonna fast, like, bless me, Lord. (laughs) We're doing these great religious things, but there's no benefit to us. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. And so this is what the fast was about. It was about us. It was about our pleasure. It was about what we might receive from the Lord. You see, their religious activity is nothing more than a religious manipulation of God. They were doing what they were doing to get something from God. Verse four, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. In other words, God will not be manipulated by your religious activity. When you're pursuing these religious things and you're doing it for your own pleasure, for your own benefit, for what you can get from God, God's saying here at the end of verse four, I will not be manipulated. It will not make your voice to be heard on high. Verse five, is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? You start to hear the tone shifting the further and further as we go along, exposing what's going on in their hearts. Verse five is saying, it's just an outward show. They're doing the right things the wrong way. They thought we think we deserve something from you. Look at what we're doing. They were delighting in the ritual rather than in the person. They were delighting in what they could get from God, what God can do for me, my pleasures, rather than simply delighting in what they had already received from God. Mercy. And it's an inverted form of religion that's actually seeking to worship self. Okay, we fasted. Why have we fasted and you see it not? 
we, we fasted, but we haven't gained that personal pleasure. They're trying to produce a response from God. And I want to ask us this morning, why do you do what you do? What drives what you do? They weren't worshiping God as a response to the mercy they had received. They were worshiping self and they were blinded by their religious activity, the appearance of religious activity. And they're saying, God, give me more. Are you responding to what God has already given to you? Or are you trying to manipulate God to see your great works of religion and to give to you more? Because we're all doing these religious things. They were doing their religious things and they're saying, God, we're pulling all the right levers here. They knew their Bible. We did it all faithfully, verse 2. But what's the point of doing all of that if I'm not getting what it is that I want out of it? I'm performing here. And, in, and, and I'm getting things done. And God, I deserve some kickback for my activity. This is legalism. Always we're always turning the gospel on its head. We think in terms of earning something from God, performing for God to then get something from God. And then when we don't get what we want from God, it turns into verse four. Behold your fast. Behold you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Like, like their expectations have been dashed, right? crushed and so now they're fighting and quarreling so often so easily we are the pharisee on the street corner jesus says in luke chapter 18 he says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's exactly what's going on in Isaiah 58. We'll get to the contempt in a moment. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even... Like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee was doing the right thing the wrong way. Verse 5, it says, like a reed. It, it, it's, 
It's expressing the, the formalism of the fast. It was automatic. It was blowing in the wind. It just does what it does. It's mindless. It's a reed. Again, verse five, the sack, sackcloth, that was used as self-abasement. It was, it was as if the people, people are saying, we're really serious. We're not just fasting, but we're throwing on the sackcloth. We're, we really want the attention of God because we really want to twist the arm of God to get what we want, our pleasure from him. Verse five, is such the fast that I choose? In other words, I don't want that fast. This fast that says, God, look at me. I'm fasting so that you see me. He doesn't want verse five fast. He wants verses six through seven fast. Is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? You see, because of the mercy of God, Isaiah is saying, because of God's mercy, do mercy. Offer mercy. It's what recipients of mercy do. They were doing the right things, the wrong way. And I'm saying to us this morning, we do the same thing. Number three, true religion responds. It responds. This is verses six through 12. Hear me. Religion is not a bad word. So often we use it as if it's a bad word. Religion is, is not what God is confronting here. He's confronting the religion that's done from the wrong motive or the wrong reasons. James tells us religion that is pure and undefiled is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that honors God is religion that worships God. We do what we do because we've already received mercy. We do what we do because of what we've already been given from God. Not out of, we've been given from God, that's pretty good, but we need to notch it up because we want to get more from God. We do what we do as a response to mercy already received. And I just want to say to you, I need mercy. You need mercy. I am a daily needy, Sinner in need of God's mercy today. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I, I, I want my life to be just a response to what I've already received from God. Listen, if God never gave you another thing on this side of eternity, it's enough. It's enough to live your life in worship of him to live your every breathing day in worship. It's enough. I need mercy every day. I want to live my life in a, res- a worshipful response to that mercy. 
live our life in delight of all that God has already provided for us at the cross of Christ. You see, religion is, is worship when it's done, when, when it does what it does out of delight rather than duty. Out of praise be to him for what I've already received rather than manipulation to get some small things that this world thinks is so valuable. See, we're called to be salty people, aren't we? And you know what makes people salty, the church salty? It's sheer delight in the Lord. It's utter delight in the Lord, so captivated, so moved by God's mercy. It's a delight to do religious things. We're here this morning doing a religious thing. Your neighbors might think of you and think, wow, you're a pretty religious person. I see you go to church every Sunday. You do religious things. Look, we're not here in the eyes of, of the neighbor. We're not here out of a dutiful, this is the duty thing that I do religiously. No, we're here out of worship of our God. Literally, every week we're here because of God's mercy poured out in our lives. And every week, it's not just a Sunday thing, right? It's throughout the week. It's, it's a life of worship because of all the mercy we've already received. He's a generous God. He's lavished his mercy upon us. They just want to twist God's arm and see what they can get from him. You know, that, like that, that legalism lives in all of our hearts. Like we talk about the prosperity gospel as if that's kind of distant from us. That's the prosperity gospel in the Old Testament. And that lives in us. There's a reason why the prosperity gospel has been so incredibly popular around the world. It resonates to our hearts. Oh, let me do these things to get more from God, to manipulate God. Church, there's nothing to manipulate. Religion that seeks to manipulate doesn't get it. It doesn't get God. It doesn't get the gospel. It doesn't get what God is after in our hearts. It feels the need to do and do and do in an effort to get something from God. And in verses six through 12, God is showing us the response. What is to be having already received from God? Having already received Mercy. Religion is responding to what God has already given to you. And what we see here and what we read from James a moment ago, it's so practical. It looks to others who do not, who, who, who don't have. And it gives 
to them. Again, because we are a people who have received mercy, we turn around and we find people who are in need of mercy and we give mercy. That's really sick. Verse six, this is this is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? It's basically saying, recipients of mercy, be merciful. Be, do what has been done to you. I would say as believers in Jesus Christ, the more we understand the gospel, the more merciful of a people we'll be. God help us. This is so unlike the world. Who on the face of the earth ought to be more genuinely merciful than the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ? Merciful towards Others who don't look like you. Others who don't think like you. Others who don't hold to your political views. Oh, God, help me to be merciful. Be a person of mercy. I, and, and I get it. I, I, we think that person doesn't deserve my mercy. I've been wronged. I've been wronged. And so I'm going to withhold mercy for you. Exactly. Mark just said, that's not what Jesus did. It's because of God's mercy towards us. But they treated me like this. They're trampling on my country. They are ignorant. They don't like me. They don't like my views. They don't act like me. They profane the name of my God. And that describes you and me prior to Christ turning the lights on in the darkness. We are not the world. We are redeemed. We are recipients of mercy. We have had the yoke of sin and death broken by the mercy of God. And now we get to be lights in this world. And many, many, most will reject us. Some will say thank you and go on in their lives. Some will take advantage of us. And few will respond to Jesus Christ. This is how we live in the world, but not of the world. This is the compelling light that we bring to the world. This is the salt Jesus calls us to. This is what differentiates worldliness from gospel response, darkness from light. Hey, it's easy to do what the world does. It's difficult to live a life of mercy because of mercy received to those who don't deserve it. That's the gospel. That's gospel living. Well, he doesn't end there. He, he, there's a great emphatic conjunction in verse eight. Then, then shall your light break, break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up 
speedily. There's, there's actually four, what, I, I, blessings, four blessings from God, which is interesting, right? It's interesting. They're seeking to be blessed by God, but they're, they're, they're doing the right thing the wrong way to manipulate God, to manipulate his blessings for them. They're then exposed, right? And then it goes full circle. Do things the right way. <laughs> Do the right things the right way and you will be blessed. It's not as if God is not looking to bless you. Verse Eight, then shall your light break forth in the dawn. It's a picture of new beginnings. I, t- I take this to mean your efforts of mercy in a lost world. God will use that. He will break forth like the dawn. Verse eight, your healing will appear quickly, meaning you will experience a personal renewal, a personal ref- refreshing. This is where it's better to give than to receive. It's a, it's a personal healing. It's a, it's a restoring. It's a moment of joy. It's verse eight, then your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And so here's a picture of what a blessing. You're hemmed in by the righteousness that God has clothed you in Jesus Christ. And that will also be the glory that follows you. Verse nine, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, then when you you call out to the Lord, this is the blessing of fellowship and relationship that we have, the nearness of our God. Hear the heart of the Lord for you. He doesn't need to be manipulated. How silly. He desires to move. He desires to be near you. He desires to engage with you. But it ought not to be some silly religious manipulation. It's what's to flow out of our hearts as recipients of God's mercy. Here's the order of things. We receive mercy, which brings a delight, which brings about a joyful obedience, doing the right things the right way which brings about further blessing. But we skip the order. We skip mercy, delight. We just run right to obedience. This is what's going on. We run right to obedience to then get to the blessing. That's not worship. That's legalism. Number four, delight yourself in the Lord. It's how the text will wrap itself up Delight is a repeated word through the text. It's a call to delight in what we do because of who we do it for. Rather than putting a manipulative spin on what we do, do it out of joy. Do it out of delight. Do it out of response. Do it out of worship. The Lord is more interested in your delight than in your formal fast. He's more interested in the the delight of obeying him and living for him and serving him rather than depriving yourself in some way to then twist God's arm. You're saved. What a joy is our salvation. Respond in sheer delight. Enjoy your life in Christ. Enjoy serving others who don't deserve mercy from you. No strings attached. 
Why not rather be wronged? Verse 13, keep your feet, he says. If you then, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath. The Sabbath, he's saying, it's not, it's not a religious duty. It's a delight. It's a thing that's done in response, as is all other religious things. It's a worshipful rest. It's a delight and joy in Christ. It's worship without the need to seek to manipulate. It's unburdensome because it's responsive joy. Oh no, I've got to serve again. We've lost sight of the mercy of God. Oh no, I've got to serve. Got to be with the kids again. What a delight to respond in worship to him in the relationship that the Lord provides. So how do we get out of the religious rut? Do nothing. No, no, I'd say do more do something. I'd say the more that we need to do is meditate deeply on the mercy of God and just how broken we are and how kind of the Lord to come and rescue us from our sin, from the darkness we all lived in. Thank you, God, for saving me from my sin, from what my sins have earned, what I deserve, that's mercy. Now, we transition. If you have not picked up your communion elements, you can do so over here. Just walk over there and grab some, it's fine. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you, do not take of these elements. They are for those who have repented of their sins and are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This is a celebration. Now, here's the beautiful thing. We take communion. What a, what a potentially religious thing to do. What a potentially meaningless religious thing to do. What a potential of just, yeah, God should be, should be pleased with me moment and that's what communion isn't (laughs) it isn't that this what you hold in your hand small little wafer little juice cup seems so insignificant in and of itself it is but to the believer in Jesus Christ this right here, hold it in your hand. Take that, that wafer, that, that bread, hold it. This represents the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. You want to talk about mercy? It's right here. Don't turn this into a religious thing, a religious dutiful thing. What we do this morning isn't out of duty. It's out of worship. Praise be to my God. So let's pray together. Father, 
thank you for sending your son. Spirit, thank you for making our hearts alive to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. It was broken for a sinner like me. Let's eat together. hold the cup with me. This is no duty that we do. This is no religious thing that we do. At Trinity, more often than not, we usually celebrate on the first Sunday of the month. That's today. But we don't do that out of religious duty. We do it out of sheer delight. We do it out of worship. This little cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood was shed for our sins. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Father God, we praise your name. We exalt you, Jesus. We thank you, Spirit, for quickening our hearts. Trinity three in one, thank you for all of the activity that you did to create hearts of worship, that we can now be active in our worship, daily active. Lord, help us as recipients of mercy to be a merciful people because of what we hold here in our hand. Help us to be gracious in our mercy, liberal in our mercy, casting out mercy where, wherever we go. Help us to be the light to this dark world. Salt, Lord God, what you've called us to. Lord, help us to be merciful because you have been so merciful to us who do not deserve your mercy. We praise you, Jesus, this cup representing your blood. We praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's take the cup together. Stand with me. God in heaven, you have been so good, so kind, so loving, so gracious, so merciful. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we do these religious things for wrong reasons, when we lack mercy towards others who are around us. Would you help us? Would you stir our hearts? Would you convict us of sin? God, I thank you. That's how we started our time of preaching. Thank you for your church. Thank you for fellowship and relationships. I thank you that we can be together here this morning. Be with us as we go from this place. For those who, who have not been able to return, I just pray for the end of all these this COVID-related things. And I just pray for good health. And I pray that you bring us back together as a body. Bunch of sinful mercy recipients worshiping you together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. God bless you.